You're listening to a chapel message from Trinity Christian College, recorded live at the Ozinga Chapel Auditorium in Palos Heights, Illinois. Here's a hot take for you on a Friday morning. I think that ghosts are real. I think that ghosts are real. Now, before you get at me for some sort of like thing that pastors shouldn't say, I'm not talking about paranormal activity sort of ghosts. I'm not talking about Snapchat kind of ghosts. I'm not talking about Casper the Friendly kind of ghosts. Instead, I am talking about maybe metaphorical ghosts, the ghosts of the past. A few weeks ago, I was talking to some of my colleagues about how we can feel haunted by those who have worked in our jobs before us. And uh, perhaps you feel this when your coworker compares you to their predecessor, or maybe when your significant other compares you to their ex. It's this sort of icky, creepy, haunting feeling. You know, I think that each of us has a ghost that haunts us, a ghost that comes from the past to question your present and your promised life. And so in Exodus 2, we find Moses' origin story. But I think that we should probably think of this more as a, a ghost story. Because it's a story of how Moses is haunted by his past, and then how God uses those moments for God's promised glory. So Exodus 2 begins with this familiar story of the baby Moses being sent down the Nile River by his mother, who's hoping to spare him from Pharaoh's genocide. And we hear that an Egyptian family discovers him. And it's not just any family, but it is the royal family of Pharaoh. And we're going to see, we're going to hear that word a lot in this series. So I just want to like get this out here now that Pharaoh is the title for the king of Egypt. Pharaoh is not his name. It's like Pharaoh Ben, like Pharaoh is not the person's real name. So just keep that in mind as we're going. But by verse 11, we hear that Moses had grown up. And so we've quickly jumped around 40 years in just a few verses, and we find ourselves in the middle of this very dramatic scene. So as we heard, Moses is watching an Egyptian taskmaster beat a Hebrew slave. And the text goes on to tell us that Moses is significantly affected by it, because the author goes to great lengths to tell us that Moses saw the slave as one of his own people in verse 11. And so even though he was adopted into Egyptian royalty and raised in Pharaoh's courts, this prince of Egypt, Moses, still identifies with his own people. He empathizes with their suffering, and he is disgusted by the injustice that is shown to the oppressed. In fact, one commentator notes how Moses' watching could be seen as an extension of God's watching of his suffering people, It's further interesting to consider that when we hear that the word, uh, the Hebrew word, when Moses uh, strikes the Egyptian is the same word when God strikes Egypt with the plagues. A little exegetical note there. But regardless, Moses has not stumbled upon a unique situation. An Egyptian man beating a slave was this very, very stereotypical scene in Egyptian artwork. And so that's where I want to say that I don't want to be, as a side note, glib or flippant about the horrors of slavery past, present, or future, and, or maybe even use it as a plot device for my preaching. You know, I recognize that the core of Exodus that we are going to be studying is based on freedom from slavery, but sometimes we sterilize the text. We focus so much on the joy of deliverance that we forget stories like this that talk about the horrors of bondage. And so as a tangent, uh, I would just think it's important to note that the leader whom God raised up has eyes to see injustice. This person has a heart to feel the pain of the oppressed. This person has feet to move in the face of evil. And that's a whole other message, but let's move on to this one right now. 
Scholars, they can't agree whether Moses premeditated the murder. That's a very boring thing because regardless, Moses knows that he committed a crime. He buries the body in the sand, which suggests that he knew Egyptian law and its consequences for murder. And then word spreads fast. After he sees two Hebrews fighting, Moses tries to break up the fight, but they respond, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to kill us like you killed that guy? So Moses is busted. And word spreads to the top because even Pharaoh catches wind of this encounter and Moses has to flee to the remote, remote nomadic land of Midian. What started as a desire for justice went a little too far. Now wanted for manslaughter, Moses becomes a fugitive. And this is the origin story of our book's hero, This is the one whom God is going to use to deliver an entire nation from the empire of the day. And it starts with blood on his hands and the ghost of a murdered Egyptian haunting him. You know, all too often, I wonder if we find ourselves in Moses' sandals, on the run from shameful parts of our past, trying to avoid those skeletons in the closet. You know, I don't know what ghosts might be haunting you, but sometimes they get conjured up like Moses experienced, perhaps when something goes too far in the wrong direction. Maybe you are haunted by the ghost of a shattered relationship. What started with a desire to fill your loneliness turned into a relationship that is too dependent, too abusive, too toxic. Maybe you're haunted by the ghost of your debt. What started with a desire to further your education has turned into a consistent, heavy reminder that you must owe someone else before you can provide for yourself. Maybe you're haunted by the ghost of your past self. What started with a desire to have fun turned into a dependency on alcohol. What started with a curiosity turned into an addiction to pornography. And these ghosts, they whisper to us that we're not good enough for God. They come from these embarrassing, shameful moments of our life that we think disqualify us from being loved by God, let alone being qualified to serve God. And so what do we do when we find ourselves trying to move forward, trying to be new people in Christ, but we still find ourselves haunted by the ghosts of our past? I think it's important to see what happens to Moses after he flees from Egypt. You know, the text makes no direct mention of God's name during Moses' long stay in Midian, but that doesn't mean that God wasn't there. You know, there are lots of biblical scholars, biblical geographers who try and they're like, where was Midian? But that's not the point, because the author doesn't want us to obsess over Midian as a geographical land, but wants us to see it as a theological land, a place where God meets Moses in between. Midian represents Moses' mini-wilderness, this place of preparation before God calls him to deliver Israel. And the text gives us a hint at how God shows this kind of grace to Moses. In verse 23, 23, we read that during that long period, the king of Egypt died. That ghost that knew what Moses did, that set the bounty for his head, is now dead, making room for Moses to return. During that long period, that life in between the present and the promised, God was still working. So when Moses found himself running from his past, God was still meeting him. 
And we know that in the next chapters, God will still call, God will still equip, and God will still use a leader like Moses in spite of and even because of his brokenness. And so this good news for Moses is good news for us today. Because sometimes it's easy to think that God perhaps just ignores our past. You know, God just trims the bad parts out, rips it out of the book, and moves on to a sunnier future. But I've been realizing lately that our God is not really a forgive and forget kind of God. God doesn't so much erase our past. God doesn't wipe away our memories and start us again as factory resets. God doesn't even upgrade us to the newest model. No, God redeems how we view our pasts. It's like your phone. When you upgrade your iOS, you don't get a new phone. It's still the same model with the same broken screen. Moses' ghost were still following him as he went before Pharaoh. The ghosts were still following him as he led a nation out of Israel and through a split sea. The ghosts were still following him as they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. And still, the text tells us that during those long periods in between, Moses wasn't experiencing lost time. God was still shaping Moses' story and preparing him for something greater. And so as we turn to God, we find that God's promises and purposes persist through our failures and shame. God's promises and purposes persist through our failures and shame. And it's scandalously good news, isn't it, that God chooses messy people like you and me to serve and build God's kingdom together. And I think of how Jesus did this too during his time on earth. Jesus redeemed the past of the woman caught in adultery, of Zacchaeus, of Peter. Even the Apostle Paul didn't hide from his past life as a persecutor of Christians, but he used it in his witness to others. In 2 Corinthians 4, which we heard earlier, Paul says that we always carry around death in our bodies. What a strange image. But still, we are jars of clay, fragile, broken vessels that God chooses to store and show his glory to the world. And so when the ghosts of our past come back to haunt us, we rest in the hope that God is still shaping our stories, even in those moments when we feel like God would want nothing to do with this chapter. We trust that God does not abandon us during the darker, the more lower moments of our life, and perhaps we can even consider that we might find ourselves closer to God when we're in those conflicts with God. So ghosts are real. And whatever ghost might be whispering in your ear today, our text is here to free you from believing whatever it is saying to you. God still has a plan for you. God still wants to use you to accomplish the work of bringing his kingdom to earth. Like Moses, we might not find an instant answer or a desired answer for our future, but we find the unbelievably good news that God redeems our pasts. So how might God be shaping your story? Not in spite of your past, but because of your past. People in the Reformed tradition, we, we love talking about how nothing gets left untouched by God's redeeming work. And so how might Jesus be redeeming each and every part of your story? overturning every shadow and blotch of your history for his glory. Perhaps it is part of the ways God is preparing you for something greater. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you 
Thank you for listening to Trinity Christian College's Chapel Podcast. To learn more about campus ministries at Trinity, visit trnty.edu slash chapel.